This is the Commercial Property Show Australia. Show number 27. I just recall my mum saying to me after I bought a motorbike, you need to grow up and get responsible. And I had no idea really what that meant. So I sort of searched around and went, what do responsible people do? Well, they buy property. Hey, how's everyone doing? Welcome to episode 27 of the Commercial Property Show Australia. This is actually a special show. It actually marks the one year anniversary of the creation of the show. So thank you all for being a part of it. It's been amazing and we're going to keep going indefinitely. So I just wanted to share a few interesting stats about the show. Each episode receives over 300 downloads over time. We've had a total of over 10,500 downloads so far. And in the last few months, we've received over 1,000 downloads a month. So it's just growing and growing and it's really, really good to see. I also have a huge announcement in regards to my business developer life. We are totally pivoting our service offerings to only cater for commercial property owners. I've been working on this for quite a while and I'm really, really excited to start helping commercial property owners with their properties. So we're gonna be doing value add strategy plans, project management, and vacant space revitalization plans. So if you wanna check it out, there'll be more info in this episode. But without any further ado, in today's show, Tam Thorogood is our first investor on fire for 2021. She explains how she's pivoted from residential property to owning nine commercial properties and an excellent way that she figured out how to turn a residential property, instead of selling it and making no capital gains, she's turned that into a positive cash flowing asset of over $30,000 net income. It's an excellent episode, excellent strategy. She's done very, very well for herself. And here it is. At Developer Life, we get it. You own a commercial property and want to add value to it, but you're not sure how, or you just don't have time. Well, it has now never been easier for the novice investor to get professional results with our strategic value add strategy plan. We identify exactly how to add value to your property and deliver a step-by-step -step strategy plan to our clients. And if you're a passive investor looking for a total hands-off approach, we can even manage it for you with our project management service. So contact us today at www.developalife.com.au to secure your free 30-minute consultation today. That's www.developalife.com.au. We want to help you maximize the value of your commercial property. My next guest is one of our own. She's an original member of the commercial property community. 
and she is our first investor on fire for 2021. It's Tam Thorogood. How are you, Tam? I'm fantastic, Andrew. Thank you for the intro. It's awesome to be on. Tam, thanks for being on the show. So, Tam, can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and just a little bit about your background as well? Yeah, my background is in Telstra. Actually, I joined PMG before it was telecom, so quite a long time ago, and I was employed as a lines person. So out there in the field, running copper wires, wiring new estates, all that type of thing. So I had a very early exposure kind of to the building industry. It was a bit of a boom back then, and we were pre-wiring houses. So that kind of was my first 13 years of stable employment. I learned a lot. And yeah, started my property investment journey while I was working for Telstra. Excellent. So actually, how did you start your property journey? What did you first invest in? Yeah, I first invested in a block of land. I had no idea what I was doing. I just recall my mum saying to me after I bought a motorbike, you need to grow up and get responsible. And I had no idea really what that meant. And I so I sort of searched around and went, what do responsible people do? Well, they buy property. So I went and bought a block of land in the beautiful place of Coolan Beach on the sunny coast because I thought I would always be living in that area, which I am, but just not on that block of land. What was the plan for that land? What were you going to do with it? I just originally bought it as a buy and hold. When I worked in Telstra, I did travel the country quite a little bit. And I just thought, I'll buy this block of land, I'll pay it down, and when I finally get back to the Sunshine Coast, I'll have somewhere I can build a house and live. And that was the basics of it, nothing more, nothing less. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So what was the next investment after that? Yeah, after that, when I moved around in Telstra, whatever place I went to, I just bought the worst house I could find, and on my weekends, I would just do it up. I'm not sure how I actually got into that. It was just a natural thing for me to do. I was on a good wage at the time. I wanted to save my money. So I thought I'll put it into property. I'll try and build some equity. So I did that for about 10 years and I would have renovated probably 15 or 16 houses during that time. Wow. That's awesome. So it sounds like you're pretty hands-on. Well, I used to be very hands-on, not so much now, but yeah, I really enjoyed the physical aspect of renovating. I mean, I worked as a tradie, I suppose I would have been called. So yeah, that suited me very well and I enjoyed doing that sort of thing. So I just kept doing it. That's awesome. So what is it about property that attracted to you? Like, why did you choose real estate? I read a lot of books that talked about building wealth, that talked about cash flow, that talked about retirement early than 65 and that appealed to me and I just decided well if I work really hard maybe I can achieve all of that before I'm 40 was kind of my original target so I did stumble my way through a lot of that but I just had this gut feeling that if I keep going and I keep educating myself and I keep buying property that eventually I will find that wealth and I will get that early retirement. And is that where you are now? Yes, I am then. I'm not retired because that's pretty boring for someone who loves property, but I essentially I could retire, yes, and it's commercial property that really got me to that point. Yes, that is so cool. So why did you pivot to commercial property? I went through a phase of everyone talks about what the end in mind looks like, and I had this residential portfolio that wasn't really high in cash flow. 
And I sat down and went, well, if I want, I think initially it was $45,000 in cash flow to replace my wage, I'm just not there and I'm not getting there. And I stumbled over commercial property because my partner was renting a commercial property with a business and the owner said, would you like to buy it? So we jumped at that. And that's when I first started looking at the numbers and I'm like, wow, this is really the better way that I could see to get the cash flow that I wanted to replace my wage. And that was the pivotal point for me to switch everything to commercial. Wow. So you kind of just like stumbled across it. Well, yeah, ultimately, because even when I started looking at going, okay, I need to buy property that's higher in cash flow. I couldn't really find what I was looking for. Everything was like neutral or it was positive after you did your tax return. And I'm like, well, that still keeps me in a job. It doesn't get me out of my job. So I remember I had a friend who did have some commercial property and I said, hey, what do you think? I've found these residential units that are $40 a month positive cash flow. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I think you can do better. And he was right. So that was a really good piece of advice. And at the same time, like I said, my partner's commercial property came up for sale, jumped into that, started to look at the numbers and just went, okay, this is where I really need to go. Yeah, I love that. What assets do you currently own? I have nine commercial properties and I have three residential units that I retained because I vendor financed those. And so it has a return equal to commercial property from a cash flow perspective. Do you want to talk about your first commercial property? Yeah, our first commercial property was my partner's business was renting it. We bought that in our super fund and that's in uh, Malulabar. That was where we first really started looking at those numbers, how they worked, watching the cash flow and decided, okay, we really need to move on this. So our first real active investment in commercial was two years after that. So we're in 2015 and mm -hmm. we searched around for a, it was 515,000, a solicitor's office on the sunny coast. It had about an 8% return and we bought that one. Excellent. Just going back to that first one, a lot of people yeah. don't know that you can actually buy a commercial property in your super fund. And then if you have a business, you can actually take over that lease and actually pay yourself as into your super fund. Is that exactly what you did, isn't it? That's exactly what we did. You do have to remain at arm's length. So meaning the entity that purchased it being the super fund was different to the business and you do have to pay market rent. There's no shortcuts of cheap rent or anything like that. It's very above board all commercial rates. With the second property, was that basically a retail asset on like a a first floor that could be changed pretty much into any kind of use? It's a ground floor. It was considered office space. It was in a retail precinct, so retail could go in there. The thing we really liked about it was that the solicitor actually owned the unit next door and was renting this one but just couldn't afford to buy it. So it had a nice five by five by five year lease. Mm -hmm. I think we were in the second year of the first five years when we walked into that deal. So, yeah, it was a cracker for a first one. Yeah, that actually sounds really, really cool how he's already invested in the actual area. So, he's probably not going to go anywhere. You know, that's Definitely. Cool. Yeah, solicitors, are. Uh, I put them sort of up there with medical tenants. They don't move that often once they're set up. 
Yeah, I think it's the same with accountants as well. They're also a pretty good tenant to have. Moving on, what was your next purchase after that? And how did you purchase it? So I set up a family trust, which the second purchase went into. And the next purchase was also in a family trust. And it was the unit next door to the first property we purchased. So it's a bank of three units. So we had one. This was the second one that came up for sale. So we bought that. And one day, fingers crossed, I'll buy the third one and and have the whole site. (laughs) So did that have a tenant already or did you need to get a tenant for it? It did have a tenant in it. There was, funnily enough, a solicitor in there that did the opposite of what I just said five minutes ago, (laughs) ended up doing a runner on me. But the good thing was that, yeah, we could buy it as a going concern and it was long-term a good play to own two out of those three units. And so at that stage in your investing career, did you have an idea of a minimum cap rate you wanted to get? And what was the interest rate at that point in time? The cap rate we were looking at, or I guess what the market was demanding, was around the 8%, between 7 and 8%. Interest rates were, I think, about 6%. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So... Just coming back to present time, what's the cap rate in the area right now? For the Sunshine Coast, I would say between 6 and 7%. So it's tightened about a point or two. Well, actually, when I say that, what has happened is that on the sunny coast, and I am a bit of a micro-investor, industrial rates were very different to, say, medical and retail. So that's sort of an across the board. So industrial, you would get a higher return and say medical or retail considered more desirable would have been lower and around sort of more the six or six and a half. So yeah, it has changed a little bit over time because people are now becoming more aware of commercial. Now there's more information out there like your podcast where they can get to understand what it really means. So that has in itself also changed the yield. I think it's compressed it quite a bit now that there's just more people in the market. Yeah, I guess the rise of industrial and the internet has also played a factor in that as well. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so moving on to the next property, how did you purchase that and how did you choose it? Okay, after that, the next one actually was a joint venture. I And the structure that I used for that joint venture was a company purchased the property and there were four shareholders. At the time, I wanted to get as in-depth as I could with commercial real estate, so I became an agent, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to buy something that was vacant, that I knew I could get at a good price, knowing that being in the industry, within 12 months, I could find myself a good tenant, bring up the yield for it, get some instant equity, and then we'd try and duplicate that moving forward. Well, so you got quite sophisticated there in your approach. When I try and learn something, I find it a little bit difficult to read about things. I'm more hands-on. And I thought, well, let's just get in and be an agent. I wanted to know what it meant to be a good landlord. I wanted to know what it meant. There was so much inside information that I thought was there, these off-market deals and all Mm. that terminology. I'm like, well, I've got to get in there and see what that really looks like. So when I did decide to do a JV with a few friends, I said, this is the way to go. They trusted me. We all put in cash. And to this point, it's worked out quite well. We found a tenant within the 12 months. We're on about an eight and a half percent yield on that one and building up some cash for our next purchase, which 
may happen tomorrow, actually. We've got a contract oh, in the pipeline. Yeah. Excellent. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So sure. did you put together a JV agreement back then? Like, was it even on your mind to do that? It was on my mind to do it, yeah, because I was running out of money. <laughs> I, wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to keep going. So, I mean, we know that often commercial can be a lot slower to get some capital growth and also you're putting down larger deposits. So after I'd purchased first three, I was running out of money and I didn't have enough time in the game to get any significant capital growth. So although now you can borrow, say, 80% for a commercial loan, which you couldn't back then, I still never do now and I never wanted to. I've always gone in at 65% just for that bit of peace of mind, sleep at night. I've got good equity in the property that I'm buying. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So basically your idea was bring partners in, buy the property at a discount, and then yep. being that you know what you're doing, you know you can get a good tenant and then the tenant obviously will bring the equity up in the property because you'll get a higher yield, you're starting to get income. That's it. That's a very, very good plan. What was the next property after that? The next one after that was just last year, three industrial units. I yep. did do a renegotiation of all my interest rates across my properties I did end up getting a bit of equity. So while COVID was happening and I had nothing to do, it was time to do that. And so there was three industrial units that I did secure at a good price because it was vacant. But then before we settled, the agent, who was a really good agent, found me an awesome tenant. So it was rented from day one. Wow, that's amazing. So you got a discount because it was vacant and then obviously these work for you and you've been able to tenant it up straight away. Yeah, tenant it up straight away. Jim's gone in there. That basically got me about 100000 in instant equity after wow. they signed the lease and, and got in there. Yeah. That's awesome. So was there quite a gap between the property that you bought as a JV to obviously the property that you just bought last year? Was it about five years? So 2018 was the the first JV and then this last one. So yeah, three years. Okay, fair enough. So what were you doing in that time? And also my follow-up question to that is being an agent and you wanted to find out if there was the inside information, did you find it and what is it? <laughs> good, good question. <laughs> in the meantime, I was searching for properties. The market went a little bit quiet and anything that did come up was snapped up quite quickly because it was just the beginning, you know, sort of 2018 and that was 19 was just the beginning of the market kind of really getting to be exposed to those mum and dad investors that had super funds. Mm -hmm. So I was on the sidelines looking and just concentrating on what was actually presenting deals to JV partners that I thought might work. None of them came off, but I still kept presenting them. And as for the inside information, there isn't any. <laughs> that I can see. But deals do happen that don't go to market, but there's generally very good reasons they don't go to market, being that it might be an elderly seller or something like that. But the agent has a responsibility when they're selling someone's property to get the best price and you can't sell a secret. So these off-market deals that people think kind of happened for you those who are in the industry, I'm not so sure. Yeah, fair enough. 
So when you're putting together a deal, you're thinking, okay, I want to take this to a JV partner. How did you choose your JV partners? Were they just family members or people in the game or other associates like work associates? Yeah, I have two that are family members and the other two, one of them is really been a lifelong sort of friend of a friend who I've often caught up with and asked questions whenever I see him. He's a developer in his own right. So I would just present deals to him, not necessarily to get him in the deal, but for him to look at my numbers, to hear what I was saying, to ask some questions that other people might ask. And that was a really good exercise to do. He did end up coming in on a deal with me eventually, which was great. And the other JV partner was, I'm in a swimming group. I swim twice a week and they're all local business people. He's in development as well. I ran some numbers past him and say, what do you think? And he said, I'm in. So it sounds like you had some really, really good people around you. I do have some good people around me. They are hard to find sometimes, but you only really need one or two to get you going. So Mm. that was the thing I was sort of getting frustrated with. And I eventually found one and now things are sort of getting on a bit of a roll, which is great. It definitely sounds like you're on a, a bit of a roll. Yeah. I guess you had a bit of track record though as well by before that you like started doing commercial. So when you brought it to like say a family member, it wasn't just out of the blue. Like they'd obviously seen you've amassed a decent portfolio of residential property and then you pivoted. Yeah, and that is a really good point. Having a track record definitely helped me. I wasn't a one trick pony, so to speak. They could see I was committed. They could see that this was going to be my profession, I suppose you would say. So yeah, it gave them the confidence they needed to take the, the step and hand over the money. Awesome. So when it asks for your occupation, do you put professional investor? I okay. don't actually. I put my little part-time job of development management. Oh, okay. You're selling yourself short, I think. I think you're doing uh, it pretty yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> so moving on to the next property, what did we do there? Uh, the next property was a JV, myself and the developer that I said I used to run my numbers past and he eventually said yes. The reason I believe he did say yes is the play on this one was a lower yield. We got it at 6.5%. It was an industrial property, but it's been rezoned by the council and it is now zoned local centre. So there is a upside development play in that. Okay, so what was the JV? Is it 50-50 or were you doing all the work and he's bringing the cash? It's 50-50. We both put in 50% of the cash. We bought it with cash. We have three tenants over one title. It's three little industrial sheds sort of with a with party walls in between. So tenanted nicely. They're quite stable businesses. The play will be the zoning with that area. Once they move out, the industrial can't move back in. So we will pivot with that, do up the industrial to be funky kind of offices that are still industrial looking within a local center precinct. Oh, okay. That's actually quite popular. Um, Mish Daniel and 360 Collective are doing that as well. Yeah, it's a good way to, if you're patient and wait for when you are looking to get your new tenants and put a bit of coin into your property, the square meter rate that you'll get from a rent perspective is a significant upside. It will shift probably to about an 8.5% return once we do that. I hope you're enjoying the show. We'll be back after this short break. (laughs) 
Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. Go to www.commercialpropertyshow.com.au. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum. And together, we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. Moving to the next deal, what was that one? Final deal I just settled on last month was in Townsville, an industrial shed. I purchased that for 535000 I had to be really quick. As soon as I saw that go on the market, I snapped that because it was advertised at a 9% return. Mm-hmm. Of course, you go into that going 9%, what's wrong with it? Really, the only thing I found wrong with it was that it had four tenants. One was leasing the rear yard. The other three were leasing, again, a bit similar to the previous one on one title, but had three industrial sheds on there. If you don't have a property manager, which I don't, it could be considered a little bit overwhelming to just walk in and take over four tenants and check all the leases and see that it's all kosher. And But I did do all that. I didn't find anything wrong with it. I flew up there. I met everyone. Got the building and pest. I'll have to do a new roof in the next two to three years. But other than that, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. And so far in the first month, traveling okay. Yeah, well, I would actually say that having multiple tenants spreads the risk. It's exactly why I like those type of investments. Yeah, definitely. So mm-hmm. is your sector of choice now industrial? Not overly. It just seemed to be what came up. Originally, I was very strict on getting medical or professional. I think that's because I was nervous when I was first investing and wanted to try and make sure I could have a good tenant that I knew would pay the loan. Whereas now with a little bit more experience, it's more about the numbers and reducing the risk, like you said, with I'd prefer multiple tenants across one title. And what kind of use are you looking for? Like is industrial use, some obviously are more susceptible to COVID-19. Are you looking at more of the service type industrial uses like your car mechanic, all those kind of things that you have to go there to actually get the job done? Yeah, definitely. That's the Townsville one has those type of tenants. And there's a car bodyworks guy, a builder, a guy who cleans the vents for the deep fried fat servicing and a picture framer. So they all went very well through COVID. However, the units I purchased mid last year, that was a gym going in there. Now I know full well that they can and will be affected by COVID potentially. Mm. However, I'm willing to take that risk at this point in time because I don't foresee it being something that's going to go on and on and on. So Yeah, yeah. so what type of gym is it? They call themselves an old school gym. So they've got a lot of free weights. They've got a bit of a sled track in there. Yeah, so it's not like a Jets or anything like that. It's a one-off gym. Okay, so it's similar to like a functional fitness kind of gym. Yeah, I'm not a huge gym person, so I don't know all the (laughs) technical terms for them. But yeah, there's weights. Yeah. (laughs) 
people are always going to want to work out regardless if there's COVID or not. I mean, I just started back doing CrossFit the last two days. My legs are absolutely killing me right now, but I'm loving it. So people are always going to be want to be doing fitness and stuff. So I think gyms are still a very good bet. Yeah, long term, I don't think they can go wrong. So it's a quite a big one as well. It's like 300 square meters under roof. Yeah. You seem like you've really leveraged JVs here. It's really, really cool to hear that. Like, where do you think you would be if you never, ever put, like, you never, ever got a JV and you just had to use all of your own money? Where do you think you would be? Yeah, I think I would probably be about two properties behind. The beauty of the JVs are that although I'd be two properties behind without them, with them, when that gets to the next stage of purchasing another property, in that same company is where it will catapult and escalate. Yeah, I really think that it's always better to own part of an amazing asset than own 100% of an average asset. Yeah, and it can be a very appealing for someone who doesn't know much about commercial but just know they want to get into it. It's very low risk for them because there is someone else managing it. There are others in the deal It's a smaller amount of money to initially front up with. So you're getting kind of best of both worlds. You're doing it, but you're not doing it, if you know what I mean. You're getting the result something someone else is doing for you. Yeah, and it spreads the risk, obviously, having more people involved. You don't have as much cash in the deal, which just gives you more confidence, I think. Definitely. I think it also keeps you more accountable. I'd be a lot more worried about letting other people down than just letting myself down if I was in a deal by myself. Definitely. I have that sort of weight on my shoulders I do want to perform for those people that I've you know promised a certain outcome I mean nothing's ever 100% going to work out exactly how you'd like it but there is pressure there to do that so I wouldn't say I would do a JV with just anyone or go out and look for more of those they do have to be the right kind of person so the ones that aren't family they're in the development space they understand risk they understand property they understand deals and move and ebbs and flows with the market. So I felt comfortable bringing those guys in. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about the deal that you're possibly going to close on or you probably are going to close on tomorrow. What does that look like? Actually, it's the biggest deal that I've put together. So it's next door to one of the properties that the joint venture team own, and it's a strip of eight shops. Mm Mm-hmm in Nambour actually on the Sunshine Coast. So we will go in there, do our due diligence. We've got 30 days on that. There is a little bit of stuff to work out from reviewing all the leases point of view. There are two vacancies in that bank of shops. So our thought behind it is to get it at a price that is relevant to the current rent, Mm -hmm. knowing that if we put in a bit of money to do it up, presented a little bit better it is a little bit run down that will attract some further tenants get those two leased the whole thing will come up nicely get it revalued and then we will with next door which is owned freehold we'll give both of those to the bank to finance out our cash and move forward perfect that sounds amazing so this is like a neighborhood shopping center kind of little strip shop is it Uh, It's a little bit more than that. It's on the main street. So it's sort of the end of the main street. It's like you're driving through sort of a bit of a town. It's on a main drag. It's the end of the main drag. So there's McDonald's and then there's, I think, a dentist and then there's 
our retail shop and then there's these other retail shops. So there's things like a pizza shop, a Indian restaurant, a Pilates studio. So it's very much the centre of town. So McDonald's is just next door to your property? It's one door away. Mm. Yeah, wow. Because a lot of investors, well, I've heard that investors just actually follow McDonald's. So if McDonald's are putting a McDonald's in there, they'll just invest in that town because they know how much money McDonald's puts into research of those towns. So they yeah. just follow McDonald's. Like that's amazing. Yeah. It did give me a level of comfort. And behind Macca's is the train station. So one day, hopefully, there'll be a fast rail from Brisbane to Sunny Coast and that area will explode. But it may not happen in my lifetime, but we'll see. Yeah, awesome. So when you started out this journey, did you have a monthly cash flow target or did you kind of just piece it together as you went? I got very specific with that. I wanted my first target was 45000 yep. per annum. Yep, that was my first target. And I reached that, I'll say, actually it was probably 2017 when I vendor financed the three residential units that I had to change that cash flow to a similar to commercial. Yeah, so that 45000 you base that target on what you are already getting from your residential portfolio, is that right? I didn't even count my residential portfolio then. I just counted I had a job that was paying me forty-five grand. I just wanted oh, okay. to get out of work. That's where I got my number from, yeah. So the 45000 was to make you technically financially free? Yes. Awesome. That's amazing. So have you had any major problems along the way? I had one financial little setback, which was a commercial property that I did buy and sell. But when I bought it, I didn't know all the ins and outs of getting things like the air conditioning units inspected (laughs) or getting service records for air conditioning units. So the tenant in there had a fully ducted system that collapsed two days after I bought it. Wow. (laughs) So with commercial, as you know, the tenant's responsible for servicing the equipment. However, if it's deemed the compressor or the hardware that fails due to just being old, then it's the landlord. So that was $16,000 straight off the bat after settling. Wow. Did you have the cash ready to go or did you have to pull out the credit card or something like that? Thankfully, I had it there, but I didn't have any left after that happened. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Running thin, running very thin. (laughs) Yeah. Were there any other problems along the way, like long periods of vacancy or anything like that? I did have um, a solicitor. The one I said was in the unit that I bought next door to our physio clinic. It was a bit of a trap and a learning experience for me. He decided to walk away from his lease And the thing that I didn't do and the learning was that the lease was in the name of his company. And as the director of his company, he had signed that lease. However, I did not get my solicitor to check that lease for me, which would have identified that there were two directors of that company. Now, because both didn't sign, the lease was considered null and void. Oh, okay. And there was no bank guarantee? No. Sorry, there was a deposit that I kept. However, I lost a tenant and now I had a vacant property, so I had to pivot on that one, yeah. And how long did that take to get released? It took about nine months and actually what I did was the physio clinic was growing, so we ended up renovating that space, 
doing a fit out, moving our physio business in there because it was quite run down that unit inside. The renovation was definitely worth it. And then when our physio clinic moved, they moved out of a very nicely fitted out tenancy that we then leased to a psychologist quite quickly. Wow. Definitely getting some good professions in there. Yeah. So how has your cash flow goals changed, like as in present day to that first $45,000? What's the big cash flow goal target now? Yeah, the big one was I wanted 100000 yep. in net cash flow. And I reached that late last year after I refinanced and reduced some of my interest rates and switched everything to P&I. So yeah, I reached that last year. In total, if I do count the vendor finance units as well, I'm at about 150000 in cash flow. So that's enough cash flow for me. And now I'm looking sort of to educate myself in development. A few of my sites are development sites. So I'll sort of go down that path while I'm paying stuff down. Oh, that's excellent. Congratulations. That's so awesome. Thank you. You mentioned the vendor finance deal. Can you just unpack that for me a little bit? Yeah, so what I did was I advertised the units for sale with the offering of vendor finance. So to put it simply, I'm acting as the bank. Instead of someone going to ANZ or Commonwealth and giving me the initial amount that I want for the property, I sold it at a future price, so to speak. So the contracts of sale have a settlement term of 25 years and I thought at the time the price I chose would be high enough, but the market's really booming. So it's, <laughs> it hasn't worked out. Exa- it's worked out in the favor of the person who's bought it, which that's the way it goes. And that's what it's meant to be about. But yeah, I have acted as the bank for this buyer. So how did you set it up? Did they pay just principal and then a part, part interest as well? How did the contract actually work? Yeah, so they paid a 10% deposit on the sale price and it's they pay principal and interest which was their selection they had a choice on how they wanted to pay the loan back i have some financial management software that runs that they ended up fixing their interest i think for the first five years it's just about to end and come off and and then go on to whatever they choose after that so you're going to let them choose the interest percentage not the percentage, just whether they want to fix it again. So, oh, okay. yeah, I have a mortgage on that, which is disclosed to them. They pay 2% above whatever that rate is given to me. So if I go back to my bank and say, hey, we want to fix for five years, they say, yes, that's at 4%. Then the buyer pays me 6%. Yeah, fair enough. So how did you vet the person to make sure that they were reputable and they were the right person for this deal? In conversations leading up to whether the deal would be put together, I got a general sense if they had, I guess, financial acumen, I suppose you would say. Not that I had a whole lot then, but I could explain something to them and they didn't have 10,000 questions. They generally got the concept of it. And then we let the solicitors take over. They did the contracts of sale. They did the loan payments, they put in the annexes into the contract. So it's all very much above board. They paid stamp duty on the property. It's a little bit like it was put together selling off the plan. They can on-sell it at any time they want to. Just then we all come to the settlement table at the end. Okay. And what was the advantage for you to do that? Like, Why did you choose that road? I was 
getting out of all residential property because my goal was now cash flow. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that property and I couldn't really sell it for any gain whatsoever. So I thought, how can I turn this into a cash flow positive property? I just read some books, listened to some podcasts, and I eventually found vendor finance. And I sort of thought, okay, can I put this together? So I just got onto a solicitor who does that kind of thing, asked them how does it work. And really, it was as simple as that. When their solicitor wanted to talk to mine, I knew the deal would go ahead. So so it, it was a great idea. I mean, it was very sophisticated, I think, to even be able to go, so how do I make this property into a cash flow positive property, knowing that I can't sell it for any kind of gain? I think that was genius. Yeah, I think it was the pain of having to sell something that I was barely going to break even on made me delve a bit further and go, there's got to be a way. And so how much exactly was it cash flow positive after you put this deal together? $30,000 a year. Wow. And then yeah. obviously, so yeah. that's in interest and they're obviously paying the property off as well. Yeah. So gross, they're paying 75000 a year, which pays down the debt as well as then putting the balance into our pocket. And I guess this would have also been a lot better for, say, your tax return where you wouldn't have actually had a gain for this investment property as well. Yeah, not until it's sold. Yeah, excellent. That is so cool. That's so smart. If anyone listening to this, if they're trying to think of an idea on how they can do the same thing, this is it. This is a really great idea. I love that. (laughs) Glad you like it. So what skills do you think you need to be good at commercial property? To be good at commercial property, you do need to be good at relationships. Your tenant is everything. It is your cash flow. So not completely understand their business, but understand what it's like to be in business. And sometimes that means meeting them halfway. Really, to lose a tenant, you will lose far more money than ever giving them, for example, you know, a discount through COVID. So you need to be really good at at relationships for sure or have a very good property manager and a very good team around you who can tell you what you don't know. Yeah, I love that. So what resources would you recommend on commercial property? I definitely recommend your podcast. I've been waiting for something like this. I'm not kidding. Like when I was first investing, there was just really nothing around. But yeah, podcasts in general, I think are really good. The other thing is people often find it hard to have relationships with agents because they have a certain perception of them. But the information that agents are sending out, so getting on their lists of their weekly and monthly updates, is the information is getting a lot better and have a good read of it and really get yourself involved with running the numbers on what it is they're saying they have sold or they have leased. They've leased something. Well, how much was it for and what did that yield end up being? And that gets you to know your market. So those are the two things I'd say to get out there and get involved in. Yeah, that's some really, really good tips. So if you'd like to get in contact with Tam, you can find her through the Commercial Property Show forums. And where else can they contact you, Tam? They can just contact me on LinkedIn. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Tam, for being on fire today. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really enjoyed it. You're doing a great job. Thanks. Bye-bye. Alright, alright, that brings us to our newest segment to the show, and that segment is called Ripper Ripper Resource. Resource. 
In this segment, I'm going to share some resources that I have personally used, read, or listened to that have made a big difference in my life, and I think they deserve to be shared. So, this week's Ripper resource is... If you have read any of these books and they inspire you, reread them. That's the tip today. Go back and reread the books that inspired you, that motivated you, if any of them have. I read these books multiple times a year. The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone, I love that book. It fires me up to get moving. I've already read that again this year. I've literally read that book probably 10 to 13 times. And I'm talking about listening to it in the car. So I'm not like sitting down reading it. I'm actually just listening to it, making sure that information is second nature to me. This is the key to success. If you found a book that really, really helped you, just because you've read it once doesn't mean you understand it at a subconscious level. You need to keep on reading these books to make sure it's really sinking in. Bob Proctor, a famous self-help guy, he reads Think and Grow Rich daily. He'll read a passage daily. And, you know, it's worked out very well for him. So this week's Ripper resource, and it's more like a tip, is please, if any of these books have helped you at all and they really inspired you or they just motivated you, go back and reread it. It's going to really help your future. Thanks for listening to the show. Thank you to Tam Thorogood for being our first investor on fire of 2021. If you would also like to share your story like Tam, please contact me through the website or on Facebook. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music. And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, success is your duty, obligation, and responsibility. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.